Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here, another episode of Amazing Business Radio. And this time, we have an amazing guest. I always say that, but this time, I mean it. She's truly amazing. Her name is <laughs> Tiffany Bova, and she is not only a great person, she's a, 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 an amazing – I'll let her tell you what she does at Salesforce. But really, her book, Growth IQ, which comes out August 14th, available everywhere you'd think it would be available – it is an outstanding book, and it, it's so much more than just customer service and experience, but I thought, let's get Tiffany on here. Let's let her talk about what she does, and uh, all I could tell you is that when you look back at her bio, her bio is, I don't know, like uh, three and a half pages long. Well, not really. Three and a half paragraphs long, but it's filled with, well, I could go on and on, but that would just be reading it. So, Tiffany, welcome to Amazing Business Radio. First, Tell us who you are, and then let's talk about your new book, Growth IQ. Get smarter about the choices that will make or break your business. Love the title. And by the way, Tiffany, before you start talking, not only do I love the title, I love the book. Because as I look through the uh, aesthetic appeal of the book, you know, it's a nice, regular, hardbound book looking at it from the outside. But there's some really cool fonts and images and cartoon kind of things that you have in there. It's just a great book. So welcome to Amazing Business Radio. Well, thank you for having me to this amazing show. <laughs> well, my we're gonna, friend. Yeah, well, thank you, thank you. Last time I saw you, we, we were talking about your new book. It was in New York City, uh, right it about was. six months ago, and I think you it had was. actually left to go talk to your agent about things. And here we are, six, seven months later. The book's getting ready to come out uh, just around the corner here, and. Gosh, am I excited. So quickly, tell us some background on who Tiffany is and your Gartner experience and your Salesforce experience and lots of great things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Here's I always like to just frame it up this way. So first thing I say is everything I learned about business, I learned at the carnival, which that's a whole conversation. The carnival. The second thing, <laughs> yep, the carnival. The, the second thing I say is I call myself a recovering seller because I used to, you know, be a quota-bearing sales rep, sort of individual, and then managing teams, and then larger teams and bigger teams, and then eventually managing marketing as well and customer service and call centers. And I did that for about 12 or 13 years, and then I spent a decade at Gartner as an analyst uh, and research fellow covering the transformation of sales and uh, as well the impact of customer experience in the way companies sort of grow and go to market and how and where they use partnerships and third-party channels to, to take their products to market. So that was a an amazing decade of just getting my hands dirty and learning a ton around just the mechanics of big company and small companies trying to grow. And now I've been with Salesforce for a little shy of three years, two and a half uh, and uh, now I'm the global growth and innovation evangelist here, and I get the amazing opportunity to travel around the world talking to our customers as well as non-customers about what, what they see in the market and, and how they're really trying to use technology to be much more engaging uh, with with ultimately their existing base as well as net new customers. Well, I love the word evangelist because uh, I know one of your counterparts over there, you know, the, the, the evangelist, Vala Afshar, who's a good friend of ours, uh, so anyway, cool title, Global Growth and Innovation Evangelist. All right, I want to go back to the carnival. Tell me about the carnival. <laughs> 
I knew that would get you. I knew that would get you. So uh, I would say this. Uh, I was born and raised in Hawaii, uh, which is also kind of random. But uh, we we had this sort of roaming carnival that would go around the islands to raise money for schools or it was like a 50th state fair and you know it happened maybe a dozen or 18 times throughout the year and it had been going on third generation uh from the early 1900s and then i started working with the family they were kind of like my second family their daughter was my best friend Uh, and so i started working in high school for them in the outdoor uh, games at carnivals. So like, you know, the darts to hit the balloons, to win the black light posters or the rings on the Pepsi bottles or, uh, you know, everything around winning teddy bears and all that kind of stuff. All right. You got to tell me and before so I you go would, on any further, were yeah. they rigged? Was, no. No. Okay. No. So you were in no. an honest carnival. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't, you know, I got to say it, it, it's, it's kind of hard to rig. I mean, I guess you could, if you weighted something or, you know, made the bottle slippery or something, but it's a teddy bear. It's like, you know, the grand scheme of things, but a great question, because I would say this to you is that what it taught me was all about the supply chain, you know, being in Hawaii, if the container of teddy bears did not make it to the Island, you know, there's no teddy bears. So it's not like you can train it in or get it another way. Um, in enough time, especially if something happens. And so, and then there's like dozens of different plushes for a teddy bear that impacts costs. So cost of goods sold, supply chain, and the whole customer service. You know, customer service, your customer in this case is children, you know, under the age of 10. Like I want that teddy bear daddy or mommy, or I want that, you know, toy, or I want that poster if I'm a teenager, or I want, you know, whatever it might be. And so, this is this entire customer service around uh, a, you know, a very demanding demographic being like small kids uh, that want to have a really good time. So our goal was to make sure everyone was having a really good time that. And so going back to, you know, making sure the games were stocked, it was clean, it was understood. The staff was happy. You know, it's these bursts of uh, pop-up of like Friday afternoon at noon, all the way to Sunday night at midnight, we would, set up a multi-million dollar business and then break it down and move to the next one. So it was literally a roving million dollar business that would stand up and break down, you know, every five to six days over the course of the carnival season. So that's what I mean by everything I learned about business. I learned at the carnival. I love it. And, and you'd come back to the same venue year after year and the same people would be coming out because you created an experience for them that uh, it sounds like it was clean, it was honest, and you recognize who your customers were. Uh, you, you can't take advantage of a little 10- or 8-year-old kid. You've got to give them the benefit. You've got to give them a chance to win the teddy bear. And they've got to walk away happy because that's the only way they're gonna get, you're going to get them to come back. So awesome. Love it. So let's talk yeah, about and, and, and I would oh, tell you there, but I would, But I would tell you there that – you know, not only was it a breakout, you know, break, you know, sort of build up and break down every week, but it was also you were hiring a brand new set of employees because as it would move, the same employees were not employees, right? It would be you want to work for the carnival over at this location for these three days. And so you'd have to literally like, you know, hire people on a Thursday. They show up for work on Friday. So talk about like motivating and inspiring people to have the kind of culture and DNA that you want with a, you know, a group of 50 or 60% of the entire staff for the carnival every weekend was net new. And then there's, you know, obviously a portion of us, probably 30 or 35% that traveled with it all the time. So, you know, that, that, that's tough, right? You're onboarding an entirely new set of 
lots of people that are in a you know high pressure, no break, you know, kind of 14-hour days. Uh, it, it, it was uh, it was really awesome. It was really awesome. I don't think I've ever worked that hard, even though I work pretty hard now. That, that was probably the hardest. Any hiring secrets you can share with us? Because you obviously have a lot of experience there. Well, for, for then, it was a very specific kind of person. You know, you needed somebody who was going to be very personable and was exciting and, you know, was, you know, wasn't shy, would like call people over to play the game that was willing to like clean up and, you know, restock and go run to get more teddy bears and bring them back. And, you know, you really had to be willing to work. Uh, And it's tough standing on your feet for eight hours, you know, getting breaks. But it's this nonstop, you know, both visual and listen and overload of sensory overload, right, with all the games and all the sounds and the carnivals. And, you know, it's uh, it takes a very special uh, kind of personality. So, you know, if you make a wrong decision, which, of course, happens, uh, you have to be able to course correct really quickly where you may just say, you know what, I just don't think it's working. And then you send that person home and you're in the middle of a 12-hour shift and it's not like you can go grab someone else. Right. So then you got to step in and work it out. Or you got to go grab somebody from another game and move them over or someone who's, you know, on break. And, you know, all those things you have to do, um, you have to, in those kinds of situations, you don't have a, well, you know, we'll just, we'll work with them over the next couple of days or next week. No, you only have 72 hours. Like, that's it. And half of it is, you know, in front of customers. So got to get it working. So hire fast, fire fast, uh, and uh, then move on to the next city is is the strategy, I guess, is the way. And that's a tough one. I can only imagine. Uh, but you knew what you wanted. You And I think the lesson here is you knew the personality you were looking for. And hopefully with an application and a short interview, you figured it out. You knew it was short term. It wasn't going to be long term. So any mistake that you made... Uh, if you could tolerate it for three days, you're fine. But if not, you are smart in letting them go as quickly as possible because they will bring you down. They'll make they'll make the well, kids yeah. cry. Well, and going back to what you said, so, you know, once again, in Hawaii, it's not like a different town. <laughs> I mean, while it is, it's 10 miles away, right, mm-hmm. because it's only so big. Uh, and so ultimately, those same families may show up and not just wait till the next year, right? So the 50th state fair they might go to and then their high school one, they might go to another one because the kids may want to go back. So you want to create this environment because it isn't just annually. It's you want them to tell people that they had a good time at the carnival because another one is going to be coming right around the corner. uh, And then they had fun and, and that the kids had fun and everything was a good experience. And so, you know, and on an island, as you know, sort of word of mouth is a huge um, part of when people decide to either do something, not do something, buy, not buy, et cetera, that, you know, if you're especially after looking at the business for 100 years, if it, it also leaned on its reputation of being in the business for 100 years. And it's a you know local family and it takes into consideration everything about uh, how it was set up and broken down. And, you know, we give people jobs and we raise money for the communities and all those kinds of things. It's all part of that persona uh, around experience that's much broader than just the time that someone is physically on the carnival grounds. Right. Lots we can learn from the carnival business. It's really like any other business. Your goal is be good, get customers to come back, hire right. If you don't hire right, move on, and you're constantly looking for those good people. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the new book, Growth IQ by Tiffany Bova. Don't go away. This is amazing. 
Good customer service is now an expectation. Don't provide it, you'll be disrupted by a competitor who does. So, what can you do to stand out? Well, that's the focus of my new book, The Convenience Revolution, how to create a customer service experience that disrupts the competition and creates fierce loyalty. The goal is to reduce friction and be convenient for your customers. So if you're ready to take your customer service to the next level and disrupt your competition and maybe even an entire industry, then this book is a must read for you and your team. And if you're listening to this before the book is released, you can pre-order and get the ebook immediately for free. Just go to www.beconvenient.com. That's beconvenient.com. It's time to join the revolution, the amazement revolution. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Tiffany Bova about Growth IQ. Get smarter about the choices that will make or break your business. So, Tiffany, this is an amazing book. It's uh, loaded with content. And I know even as we talked about, uh, you know, I'm a customer service and experience guy. And I look at all of this information the number one path number one is customer experience you've got some great stories in there but tiffany go ahead tell us a little bit about the book why you wrote the book why it's important why everybody should go out right now and buy the book well it was a it's been this journey for me you know as i mentioned sort of i've had multiple kind of hats and things that i've done over the years but it all really centered around uh how do i help either the company I was working for or other companies sell more stuff and grow the business from a top line perspective, not from an M&A or a cost cutting perspective, just from kind of the top of the funnel, if you will. And so I I started to think about, you know, what was common, you know, what, what had I learned along the way? What had I heard other people doing and, and what was I recommending people to do? And it sort of came to me that it boiled down to these 10 paths, what I call them. So the 10 paths to growth and, you know, I, that was sort of the first thing that there's really only 10 ways to grow. And people may go, ah, oh, you know, there's hundreds or and I think there's only four. And it's less about the 10. I needed it to be something that was digestible, that people felt wasn't overwhelming. Like if I said there's 182 ways to grow, you know, that's probably not the best approach. So I needed it to be something digestible. And I believe in these 10. And I not only believe in them, I think that if people really, even if you have to stretch a little bit, kind of the things they're doing today will probably fit into one of the 10. They just may call them something different. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, uh, what really was my aha moment was when I saw companies that were able to maximize uh, one of those growth paths and really take advantage of that growth, I saw that it wasn't the individual one thing that growth never came down to one thing, it was many things. And that one sort of moment for me had everything to do with the context of the market in which someone chose to pick a particular path. So what's going on around them, the temperature socially or economically or politically, but more customers um, and what's happening technically, that's what I mean by context, sort of everything around it. But next was the combination and what they actually did around those particular growth paths or within multiple growth paths. So once again, not being one thing. And then the third thing behind that was the sequence or the timing in which they actually did those things. And so those three things, context, combination, and sequence is what I landed on that was making or breaking the decisions that companies were making on the paths they were on. 
And that seems to be what everyone's really getting excited about, that it isn't me trying to say this is the only way to grow. It's regardless of whichever way you choose to grow, I'm going to give you some concepts around this context combination and sequence that will help you make it more successful than it would be if you only thought about it in isolation. Mm. Content uh, combination and sequ- sequence. Good. Uh, we'll hang. Well, good things to hang all of this information on. So, let's go with path number one, since that's uh, the focus on customer experience. And again, I, I read through these different case studies, even you know customer base penetration. Uh, what the Red Bull example that you talk about? I, I love the McDonald's example. I, I look at Path Seven, Churn, Spotify, uh, and Netflix, and and Blue Apron. These are companies that I've studied, and just the way you position them for uh, the way you know companies should look at these case studies and say, what can I take from each one of these that we can do? There's great information, but let's start with customer experience. Yes. Yeah, so I. When I was organizing the paths, there was a lot of thought around which one goes first and which one goes last. And in between, uh, I, I, was, I wanted it to have some logic, but first and 10 was sort of the bookend of the entire concept. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I was just mentioning around sort of everything I learned around the carnival, I mean, around business I learned at the carnival, one of my big lessons was around customer experience. And I knew that that was a combination path for all others, meaning if you were going to try to reduce churn, as you just mentioned, you, you want to deliver better experience, right? Because they, then they don't want to leave. Uh, if you're going to enter a new market, then don't do it if it's going to another country where the first language is not English and then just, you know, market in English. Like that's not a great experience from a localization standpoint. If you want to um, work with a partner uh, and you want them to do everything and you're not going to do everything, then that's not a great experience. Or, you know, so I just felt like to me, customer experience is the new product uh, without question. Mm-hmm. And people will remember the experience much longer than the price they paid. So those two things I am pretty fanatical about. And so I said, if I make that the first chapter, then that could be the combo path for everything else, meaning just underlying anything else you choose to do to grow the business if you don't have customer experience as the true north, um, you're going to set yourself up for failure. And I and I will caveat something really quick. Customer to me could be internal employee customer or external shareholder customer. Right. So both. Three. Yeah. And uh, I'll give you a great quote. The great Aldo Gucci once said, quality is remembered after price is forgotten. And, yes. Uh, you know, it's actually in the book. <laughs> oh, the Gucci quote is it, and is it attributed yeah. to Gucci or Neiman Marcus yeah. Stanley? Oh, great! Because nope. I think it was it was Gucci. Gucci that said it first. I did not see that when yes. I read through it. Wow! So, and the point is this: the customer experience is going to be remembered just as you mentioned. You know, long after price has ever been considered. And you look at uh, the the companies you have here. Starbucks is story number three. Well, what is Starbucks known for? You know, it, they're known for the amazing experience, but they also recognize that their coffee is a little bit more expensive than the average cup of coffee you can pull out of a, you know, quick little coffee place or even a coffee machine. But there's a reason for that, and they give it to you. But go ahead and, and give us a really quick overview of – you don't have to go through each story, but um, if there's something – like let's do Shake Shack. I love Shake Shack. Danny Meyer, the guy that started Shake Shack, are you ready for this? He and I – went to nursery school together. 
We had the nap fact time. You didn't know that is frightening. I, well, you know what? The fact that we figured it out is more frightening because I didn't – I mean, so think about it. He was a year ahead of me, but in nursery school, they put two years together. So he goes off to whatever school he goes to. I go off to my grade school. We reconnect again, but really didn't reconnect. In, in junior high school, he went to the same school, but then he left and went to the arch enemy competitor school. And again, a year older than me, so I never saw him. He becomes a famous restaurant guy, and he writes the book Setting the Table, and that's great. One day, about maybe 10 years ago, I am at a, uh, a tennis resort on spring break with my kids. Now, none of my kids play tennis. They just like the pool at this place. But they had tennis. So I sign up for a tennis uh, clinic. I've never, hardly ever played tennis, but I can play racket sports. I'm okay. And they put me in this group, and they pair me with this guy, and he says, hey, my name's Danny Meyer. Oh, my name's Shep. And I, Shep, Danny, we, we know each other. Oh, my gosh. You know, and we figured it out. So. And then we're talking, and we, you know, from saying, where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to nursery school? We figured it out. Miss Betty was our teacher. Anyway, I'm going way too long. This isn't about me. This is about you. Let's go back to the Shake Shack and talk about radical hospitality. Yeah, and and what's interesting is within each path, within each chapter, if you will, uh, there's three stories. So there's 30 stories technically in the book. There's two stories, which I sort of, and by the way, the case studies, there's no way I could do 30 case studies in a book that anyone would read. It would be way too big. So mm-hmm. they're just moments in time where I'm showing they hit a crossroads and they made a decision and it leaned into that path. So just to be clear that there's no way I could do 30 any justice. Um, and so two of them are when they hit a crossroad and then, and they made a decision to double down on customer experience, or it was always their path to growth which is the Danny Meyer story. Right. Because you brought up Starbucks, which is the third story, the third story in every path is actually where they went wrong in a particular path. And I think everyone's going to be surprised I use Starbucks as an example of where it can go wrong on customer experience because, to your point, they're held up as being an example of customer experience. So I'll, I'll come back to that. But Danny Meyer, you know, from a Shake Shack perspective, this radical hospitality is in the DNA. And so every decision they've made from there comes from that core belief that that's the way that they want their employees to work, what they want the brand to represent, and they will make decisions that will always lean towards customer experience or radical hospitality in this case uh, as what's going to help them grow and, by the way, differentiate themselves from another burger place across the street. Mm-hmm. And so – and, you, and I'm going to charge a premium. So not only do I have potentially a better quality food, which was sort of one of his you know, uh, t- core tenants, I'm going to deliver them a better experience. My employees are going to be happy, really happy. And if they're really happy, my customers are happy. And lo and behold, I'm going to go from a you know, cart in a park uh, to you know, dozens of Shake Shacks around the world. Yep. And in very expensive is, areas, by the way. I mean, the real estate that these Shake Shacks are sitting on are not cheap. So in order to make it work, they have to have customers. Without customers, there is no Shake Shack. And without great hospitality and, and, a, and a reason to come in and pay the prices they have, because they're not an inexpensive hamburger. They're not expensive either. But uh, this, I mean, he's got the formula down. Yeah, and, and, he, and he wanted to sort of put his twist on fast casual, which is very different than fast food. You know, fast food is like I want it fast. I want it at a good price. I want the quality to be good enough. You know, I you know, want it to be healthy enough, those kinds of things. So uh, different than that, fast casual was 
he's going to take the same kind of quality of ingredients he does in his higher end restaurants, which some have Michelin stars. I mean, you know, very high end restaurants and say, how can I take that to fast casual without compromising, you know, my brand, our brand, without compromising quality service? You know, how do I take out all the big costs in the, you know, Michelin star kind of restaurant and bring it to the masses without giving up what I'm not willing to give up. Even if I don't make as much money from a profitability standpoint, I'm not going to bend on quality and I'm going to go for making sure that people have an amazing uh, experience, both from a, it tastes good. It's a clean environment and, and the, uh, and the staff that is there serving them, they know that they're there to make sure they have a a great time. Mm, Yep. And exact and that and he delivered. Uh, by the way, with the exception of talking about tasting good um, and uh, and being in the food business, I believe that everything you mentioned. I mean, I know you, you right off the bat in your introduction or, or something. You have uh, some a quote by Jeff Bezos, and it is. I mean, there's a man that that said, "Hey, let's let's forego the big margins to make sure these people get an amazing quality experience, and we truly will make it up in numbers." Uh, and and that's what's happened, and that's what the Shake Shack has done. If you've never been to a Shake Shack, i got to tell you, by the way, you mentioned uh, health in the fast food. Uh, you mentioned that word. I don't know how much health is in a lot of these fast food. But if you go to Shake Shack, shake is in the name for a reason. You're not getting a diet milkshake. <laughs> I don't think they have one. <laughs> but darn is it good, and it's worth blowing the diet just for that. Yeah, and, and then, the, the, you know, then going to the flip side of it, right, using – uh, uh, Starbucks as the example of where it could go wrong and people getting very surprised by that was they were in massive hyper growth mode. I think at the time it was like, and I'm going to misquote this, but I think it was like every 15 seconds or you know 15 minutes that Starbucks was opening somewhere in the world. Like it was, they were in massive hyper growth mode. But in doing that, in that hyper growth of expanding and at the same time diversifying what they were selling within the Starbucks itself, those two things had consequences to the experience that people were having so they were onboarding people too quickly they weren't getting the training that they needed the coffee was now just okay but now you're at to your point chef right you're charging a premium it's you know you could get it cheaper down the street you know what are you doing and then all of a sudden it's like you're selling cds and the place smells like a you know it's selling breakfast foods and i don't smell coffee and you know all the things they all of a sudden they lost their soul uh, to use sort of Howard Schultz's term, uh, they'd lost their soul around customer experience. And so they brought him back to just say, hold on, like, let's take a beat. Like, we need to make sure that the decisions we're making about growth, even though very good for us from a, from just an overall revenue perspective, is having negative impact, negative impact on what our customers actually think of us as a brand and a place they're going to go. And remember, we're competing with them making coffee at home, which is free. I mean, technically. Amazing. Right? So we have to do it differently. And so that's why I leaned into that one, because I think everyone needs to feel like it's not going to be perfect all the time. Yeah, and in if the Starbucks, Starbucks example, is going to make a perfect. mistake, I can make a mistake. We can make one. Right. Right. And then you just have to say, so the lesson there is taking a pause and, and regrouping and saying, okay, what do we need to do? And so they started peeling back and he made very specific, not only did he come back to being CEO, Howard Schultz, but they made very specific changes to try to clear up the things that had taken them off track for customer experience. And sure enough, from the tenure that the day he came back and the, and the day he stepped down again, the 
stock was up like 550 percent. Now, that's not the only reason why that happened, right? (laughs) That's not the only reason, and I'm not trying to say that it is. But remember, I'm looking for a point in time. They started to stall even though they were opening and expanding locations and expanding what they were selling on the menu. They were starting to see same stores uh, sales stall. What was it? They realized it was experience. Re got themselves back on track, slowed down the growth, retrained everybody, you know, and then started to change some of the things internally, operationally. Once again, going back to the combination of things they did and the sequence in which they did it and came out the other end of it and then were better for it. And, you know, here, here they go again, uh, uh, you know, under a new leader to say, okay, now how do we keep this going? Right. Love it. All right. The book is called Growth IQ, Get Smarter About the Choices That Will Make or Break Your Business by Tiffany Boba. We're going to take a short break. We come back. We're going to wrap up the show. Don't go away. There's more to come. If you like what you're hearing on Amazing Business Radio, and I know you do, then you can get much more of this information. All you have to do is go to my website, hyken.com. That's www.hyken.com. Fill out the subscribe to the shepherd letter form and each week you will get an article that contains a business tip, stories, much more, all about customer service and experience delivered straight to your inbox. Thanks for listening and don't forget to always be amazing. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio. Tiffany... Wow, so much information, and we've only talked about really even briefly the Shake Shack and Starbucks, and I love your carnival story. As we start to wrap up here, uh, looking at what other parts of the book, I know you said you started the first and the last. Talk to us about what's at the end of the book. I know it's not like we're reading a novel and there's buzzkill at the very end, but I love no. – your, you know, your whole focus on basically it's a giving back kind of a strategy. It's a community strategy. Uh, share with us, because this is really, really important in my mind for any business to be thinking about. Yeah, I think it has everything to do with where I work now. You know, when I left Gartner and it was time for me to figure out what I wanted to do next, um, I I'd made the decision to come to Salesforce because I'd attended so many of their events over the years. And every time I would leave Dreamforce, I knew that I wanted to try to be a better person. And with that said, that sort of has a lot to do with why I chose to be here. And when I was looking for that bookend of Growth IQ, I wanted it to start with the customer experience and then I wanted to end with the role that businesses have in society. So really kind of doing well by doing good and having the social consciousness side of business, sort of purpose over profit. And instead of having two good stories and one sort of when someone did it wrong, Uh, The name of the chapter is Unconventional Strategies. I actually have three positive stories. So talking about Tom's Shoes and talking about Lemonade Insurance, which is a fantastic story, and then talking about some of the things that's happened in the world uh, where not everyone has access to cash and capital and banking and really giving entrepreneurs, uh, mostly women, uh, the ability to earn money uh, to help bring themselves uh, and their children to education and, and get them access to things that they don't have today. So I wanted to end it with sort of customer and then at the end sort of you know how can businesses really just be better stewards of the world and the people uh, that are in it yep it's one thing to make a difference for your customers and giving them a great experience giving them a great product giving them great value for what they pay for but it is another thing to go out and and really make a difference in the world tom's shoes buy a pair of shoes you get a pair of shoes free uh, 
in the lemonade insurance example and uh, i don't you know i don't know i'm not i'm not familiar with uh is it grameen bank is that how you say it in bangladesh correct yep correct so i said that right i was not familiar with them as i was looking through the book so great so we're down to the last final moments of the show and i always ask the same question it's the one thing question what one thing do you want to emphasize or something you want to give a little new nugget of information and let's let's go for it. I call it the lightning round, but it's only one question. Yeah, I'd say this. I, I'd say that, uh, you know, I often get asked, you know, what's that one thing? So I'd answer your question why it's never just one thing. It's a combination of multiple things. But beyond that, I think it's also good for people to know that everybody is struggling with growth right now, large or small. Some of the largest companies in the world are finding themselves in businesses which are no longer producing top-line revenue. They're having to shed businesses or divest out of things or sell businesses. And so if you're a small business, just know that you're not alone. And if you're a big business, you know there are things uh, that you could be doing to look out of your own industry and or your own region to find some ideas. And more importantly, I think that Growth IQ can give an absolute framework by which you can start to work through with your teams and, and counterparts and colleagues, uh, as well as just as something for, to help you sort of shape your thinking on your own. Because it's, it's tough. You know, you have your conversations by yourself driving to work and you're like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get all this done. So just got to take a, take a pause and, and make sure you trust the process when it comes to growth. Wow. Takes time. And, and, and what a perfect uh, line to give. I set you up with the one thing because opening the book, the one thing is it's never just one thing. Who said this? Yeah. Now, do you, uh, how do you stay ahead of the ever-rising customer expectations? There's no single way to do it. It's a combination of many things. Who said it? Jeff Bezos. Bingo. Ding, ding, ding. You win the yeah, prize. And what's funny, it's in it's, your book. Yeah, what, <laughs> yeah, what's great about that little story and that particular quote, it is the first quote on that first chapter, uh, but – it came from their most recent earnings call, not the one that just happened uh, for this quarter, but last quarter. Uh, so I was able to sneak it in the book at the last moment because I couldn't have written that quote better to kick off that book, considering he used the word combination and he used the word one thing. Like I was just like, I have to use this. Uh, and so just just as a little point of uh, trivia on that, that was the last thing added to the book after the book had been written. It was perfect quote. Not only it was the last thing added to the book, it was added to the very beginning of the book, which is kind of That's ironic. Right. Excellent. The book, again, it's called Growth IQ. You can get it everywhere. Go to Amazon.com. It's available now. Do not pass, go, or collect $200. This is a book you're going to want to read. This is going in. Um, you know, I always, at the end of the year, do a top 10 book. Uh, there's several authors that we've had on the show, and this is definitely a top 10. I love it. Thank you, Tiffany, for spending some really valuable time with us, especially right before the book's coming out. I know you're crazy busy. You've given us a gift. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, Shep, and thank you for all your support for me over the years. I really appreciate it, my friend. My pleasure. Well, that's another episode of Amazing Business Radio, another amazing interview, and uh, we'll have another one next week for you. So until next week, remember, Shep Heikensen, reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.